Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. All right, here we are. Welcome back. Episode 203 of the Know Their Story podcast, season two, episode three. Special episode today on a number of uh, levels. We have two guests who joined us last year, and now they're joining us together. Uh, we're going to cover a couple different things. One of the main thing we want to know is how your guys' life changed since being on our podcast last year. I'm sure just adulation and fans and autograph requests everywhere. Um, but we're also going to talk about uh, the importance of music to veterans and cross-generation because we have a Vietnam veteran and an Afghanistan slash Iraq veteran. Welcome back to the show, Sergeant Jim Brown and Lieutenant Colonel Chris Lozano. Um, thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Oh, hey, and guys, Dustin's nice here to too. <laughs> it's true, I am. I'll get quiet if you let me. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to let you. I'm going to let you run it more because you are also a musician, Dustin. So I true. am going to bow it's out true. to talk about that. Uh, and you joked about it last week, but we're not going to do that. How did you join the military? Because we covered that last year. So thank I you know, for I know, but, but all of my opening topics are too painful. So let's do something else first. All right. Uh, think of a new Lozano, question. How's the music Go. career? Lozano, how's the music career? Have you been playing out? I started again in July and I've only been playing uh, outdoors. So I've been playing uh, a lot of farmers markets and a couple of parties and then the band, I'm in a six piece band. We've played out a couple of times, but it's pretty limited. And now it's uh, the, the, the farmers market season's winding down and I don't have any immediate plans to keep playing during the winter unless this all kind of works out, you know, full pandemics. Jim, did you see him out anywhere? I saw them uh, Saturday night before last. Nice. What's their What's their best song, Jim? Their best song, oh boy, the Cheater. <laughs> you would pick that. One. So they, he's picking a song. He's picking a song by um, Bob Cuban uh, from nineteen sixty six called the cheater and that was a a uh, i think it actually hit number two in the country at one point but um three of the guys in the band played uh for the lead singer of that band at one point that's our oh, cool. connection to that song yeah actually uh my favorite they, they did a lot of really good songs and they had the place rocking but for as a personal favor to me uh, Chris played uh, "Long Way Home," which nice. if you're if you're a veteran, you need to go to SoundCloud and listen to "Long Way Home." And Period. we we do as of right now. Or if now, you just like good music, yeah, we it is actually in the movie "Apache Blues: Welcome Home." Uh, we have it. Uh, has has Jim let you see the movie, Chris? I have not seen it yet. He just told me about it. So, but yeah, we have it. Uh, I, I think I think you will like uh, where it is set right now, um, pending our producer approval. <laughs> directors, directors are powerful on a movie, 
only so much. All the way till now. <laughs> hey guys, I, I haven't had the chance to watch the redo because we were in Albuquerque and uh, for our reunion and just got back. So we're going to sit down within the next day or two and watch the redo. Nice. We think you will enjoy it. You can you can let Chris come over and watch it. Um, and that and that is for the audience. Why we have these two guests together is because we actually met Chris through Jim. And Jim was about to tell us the story of how they met. But I said, hold on. Let's turn on the, the recording first so our audience can know this. Uh, yes. But Jim, you really seem like you wanted to tell the story. The floor is yours. Okay, thank you. Well, as you guys know, we love live music at our house, Kathy's house and mine. You guys have been here for a live performance, Dustin on bass, as I recall. Um, I believe I was there for that, yes. Yes, you were. Uh, but Chris is a songwriter, musician, singer, and his band showed up in my living room one night at one of our parties and played and they played for a couple of hours and they were really good but somehow through the course of the night we found out that we were both combat veterans i had not met chris up to this point we found out we were both combat veterans and uh when the show was over and the band had uh finished we stood outside in the front yard for probably a half hour chris and just talked uh, about each other's experiences. And as any combat veteran will tell you, it doesn't matter if you were in World War II, in Korea, in Vietnam, in the Mideast, a combat soldier has a bond like none other. And we bonded that night and uh, we've remained friends ever since. Yeah. Is, is that how you're, so, how do we go from you guys never met and you're in his living room playing, Chris? Is there, you just heard some music and you're like, we're going to crash that or? Oh, um, so the, the Braun family is, is quite large. And um, his cousin uh, was one of the members of the band. So Dave, who's unfortunately since passed away. Um, yeah, they're, that's how they wound up there was they were having the party and I guess they call it a cousin's party and they have it on a fairly periodic basis. And Dave just kind of invited us to come over and play. And it was pretty intimate. I mean, there was just that night. There was just at the time there was just four of us and, um, and it was just acoustic and we just played in their living room and, you know, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. That's, it's a great scene. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And is. which, by the way, you know, as, as a, now as a songwriter, I my my favorite gigs are playing house concerts, yeah. which that's exactly what a house concert is. It's just playing to in somebody's house to an intimate audience. But yeah, that's how that's how we, we met. You know, so it was a family connection. Now, Jim probably doesn't realize this, but I knew who he was because my ears always perk up when I hear stories about combat veterans in our family. So there was a couple of, of, of bronze who are combat veterans and the other is his cousin, Gary, who's Dave's brother. I'm sorry, not Gary, Craig, uh, who's uh, also Jim's cousin. And he was a Navy veteran of Vietnam. And so I just happened to know 
Jim, even though Jim didn't realize I, 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 I knew, and I didn't know him prior to that, but I'd heard this name before. And that's, uh, yeah, so there was an immediate connection. Celebrity and, stalking, classic. And then, you know, when you met your hero, you found out he's a nice guy. <laughs> um, one of the reasons, you know, for Jim, you like to, to say you were kind of the, the music man of the platoon when you're in Vietnam. And obviously, Chris, music has been very important for you. Um, part of it for returning home and how important music's been. Uh, but we kind of wanted to get this cross cross generational veteran talk about music and and hmm. uh, being on deployment, how music is kind of window home. Um, Jim, you had it a bit different. There wasn't exactly uh, iTunes or anything. You you had what the reel to reels or uh, yes, yeah, reel to reel. And uh, you actually, I love a story of. Um, you had a very special introduction to uh, Led Zeppelin um, far away from home, didn't you? <laughs> Indeed, I did. Uh, I was on R&R in Taipei with two of my compadres. And this would have been, I believe, May of 1970. So I'd been away from home almost a year and a half with limited exposure to new music. And we walked in a service club in Taipei. And what did I hear coming out of the jukebox but this song called Whole Lot of Love by this group mm. called Led Zeppelin. And I listened to that and I said to myself, holy crap, the music scene has changed quite a bit. And I think maybe for the better. <laughs> yeah, it That's is. That's my and story. Well, and that's that's a good segue to being far away from home, whether it's in Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan, and to have these little pieces of a home, snippets of home. And music seems to be a, a universal language that a lot of people can identify with. I mean, Jim, you seem to like me more when you found out that my iPod has almost the same songs that yours does. Um, and, and you let me talk more then. <laughs> um, <laughs> For you, Chris, is it as that experience, like when you were deployed, was music um, kind of that same feeling? Um, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. It, it was, uh, you know, obviously uh, my my non-war experiences, you know, have always included music, uh, even when I was deployed, or you know, even whenever, ever, ever since I joined the Marine Corps, I always had a Walkman, a cassette player, a CD player, something. But very specifically, um, I was getting ready for the invasion and one day a box showed up and I opened this thing and it had this small brick about this big. It was about that big and it was about half inch thick and it was an iPod. And um, my brother had sent me, my brother is a total techie, uh, had sent me this thing called an iPod. I had no idea what it was, you know, and you had the wheel and you had to spin the wheel around. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And all these, he loaded 10,000 songs on it. And of course, trying to keep sand out of that thing was interesting. So I actually wound up putting it in a plastic bag and uh, he still has it. I brought it back for me from Iraq in 2003 and 
and gave it back to him. He's kept it as, as a souvenir. But the soundtrack, it was um, in order to decompress on a daily basis, you know, I would I put those in at night, you know, when I was finally going to sleep and and listen and just take myself somewhere else. And oftentimes it was done to the drumbeat of artillery fire and rocket fire and helicopters and generators and the ground rumble and things like that. But it brought me a level of calmness and peace that I needed in that very moment. So it was absolutely essential. And for you, Jim, you guys played music on the helicopter on your way out, didn't you? Or did you sing it? You were singing songs. You've told me yeah, about that, a couple you guys would sing. That was, uh, that was strictly our vocals. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. No, uh, no apocalypse now with the speakers on the side of the, the uh, helicopter. No, no, no Robert Duvall. No apocalypse now. No. <laughs> but yeah, the singing. Two, what... right, go ahead. Our two favorite songs to sing were, uh, and when I die, blood, sweat, and tears, and only the strong survive, Jerry Butler. That's where our two, uh, our signature songs. Did they change for uh, going out and coming back or? <laughs> uh, coming back, I don't think we were singing at all. Uh, we were just trying to get pumped up on the way. Uh, but if I can say something else about music uh, in a combat zone, you got to pick up on what Chris said. Uh, for, for us and um, for Chris too, I think when you're, when you're, thousands of miles away and you're in a combat zone for, for us there were three things to hold on to and they were each other there was the thought of going home and there was music those three things now the first one each other unfortunately that changed a lot because of attrition in a combat zone we would lose guys so you kind of learn not to hold on too tight sometimes uh, the thought of home was wonderful, but sometimes it seemed so far and, and so far away that you that you couldn't even comprehend ever being there again. But music, music was a constant. It was always there. We always had it. And I would have to say that was our real lifeline back to the world was was music. Mm -hmm. uh, and. Stone cold agreement, Chris. <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying not to, to uh, co-opt the entire conversation. Um, you know, the, uh, for me, it was Nora Jones. For me, it was Nora Jones. And I listened to Nora Jones every single night. It was the last thing I would hear before I go to sleep was listening to Nora Jones because it was just something about the, the gentle bass lines and the the very cool guitar licks and and her voice, you know, that just made me think of home. And, you know, that would, that, to this day, the minute I hear uh, anything from that album, I'm just immediately taken right back. Mm. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Well, that actually segues perfectly into a question I had of you, you've got the music as a tie-in to home while you're on deployment when you come home obviously there's emotion attached to the songs does it get harder than to listen to those songs when you're home or is it kind of still a uh, 
I don't, attachment's not the right word. Um, yeah, an attachment to the deployment. Like what happens? Is there a switch or, or how does that, now that you're home? Oh, no, for me, the, the music doesn't trigger anything bad because I, it, I associate it very much with, with the, the peace and the calmness it, it, it brought me. It also takes me right to a point where my life had a lot of purpose and meaning. And, uh, you know, so I associate that, uh, you know, very much with that. Um, to me, the, the bigger triggers, believe it or not, and I don't know that Jim and I have ever talked about this, but it's temperature and smell. Um, I can feel a sharp, cold breeze on my cheek and immediately, you know, it, it can take me to, a, to a, mo a very specific moment place. And, you know, so there are things that trigger with music just as that's just the happiness you know there was nothing it wasn't like anything tragic is associated with the music itself jim um I, I wish i could say the same chris uh, there are there are a few songs uh, that i listen to and i'm i'm kind of drawn to them like a moth to a flame sometimes mm. but when i hear them man i'm i'm right back to just like that but i can't stop listening to them so yeah well I that's i have a problem <laughs> no you don't you don't have a, you don't have a problem you, you, you have an emotional attachment to them and it's just it's a very important part of how you process things you know so i i, I tell people not to fight those those moments like that you know and, and that's the important thing of, the, of this conversation is that we all experience experience things differently you know, we all, our war experiences, even though there's a lot of commonality um, to the underlying uh, beliefs and, and, and experiences, there's, they're all done very, you know, very differently. And, and that's actually one of, the, one of the, the biggest issues that veterans have is people want to lump us all into the same bucket. We're all damaged. We all had the, the same experiences. We're all detached and we all have you know, whatever the issues are that we have, it's, it's not, it's not like that at all. You know, so, you know, what he's speaking is, is very important truth, which is, you know, he and I experience things differently on that level. And in, in terms of those songs, Jim, is it because of you heard them at a specific time that something happened or is it just so tied to the emotional experience that it just brings you back to, the overall feeling of Vietnam or, or how is that for you? Yeah. Well, I, th I think it's more a specific time, a uh, specific incident because um, my best friend over there used to love to sing those two songs going out every time we had a, a combat mm -hmm. stall. And uh, of course we lost him on December 5th, 69. So it kind of puts me right back in that, that same place. So is it fair to say then you can't stop listening? Uh, I don't want to get into I'm not a professional um, because it, it helps you feel close to Tim. Um, I don't. Hmm. And you can stop so me if I've gone too far. First of all, they're great songs. I love them both. 
are really great songs and really well done songs. Um, I guess maybe it is a way to keep that attachment going on, on some level. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe you just solved it for me. Well, as I say, I have, I have a connection. Go, Dr. Dave. Well, I, I, well I, I, not so much from a doctor standpoint, but from a, I have a specific connection to two Rolling Stone songs connected to my dad's death. Um, yeah. The last song that was playing on his iPod, and this is creepy, and I'm going to admit this, on his way home, because he he had an aortic dissection and just gone, like said hi to my my stepmom, went to the kitchen, gone. The last song on his iPod was Midnight Rambler by the Rolling Stones. And my stepmom said when the paramedics started working on him, his clock radio in the bedroom started playing the radio and it was You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones, his most favorite band in the entire world. So that's what started playing when the paramedics started working on him. Also super creepy. Um, but those songs come on. I can't help but think of the night he died and my dad, but I also can't stop listening to them because they're great songs and I feel connected to my dad. Um, so I kind of, I lean towards the second one and take solace in that. Um, so they're, they're, same thing, Dave. I believe it's speaking same thing. Dustin, we've left you out of this, Mr. Musician. Sorry. Oh, I, I'm I, I'm not haunted by any songs, guys. I'm 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 good. I uh, I don't have the I don't have the attachment except to a, uh, except to a kid's lullaby, which I have to sing to my kids every night. So. <laughs> well, ne next time we go on an eight thousand mile road trip, I will play the same song for every mile of it. You, uh, you already did that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All for you. All for you. Oh, man. So, um, I don't know. I think I think music is beautiful that way in that it um, it always draws you back. You know, uh, the siren song is a real thing, um, and 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 it's partially the. Um, I think I think songs are good because they bring up emotions and and because they have that that process and so uh, that process of bringing emotions out and um yeah i think i, I think i think you're both on the the same you're both on the same thing it, it it's a good song so you keep listening because it gives you the emotions of the good emotions of the memory but then also there's bad memories and it just kind of files in a loop and that's that's what makes it good Right. There's there's sort of two theories of, of the emotionalism of music. And one is you listen to music to elevate your mood or to uh, uh, to change your mood to a specific thing. And then the and, and then the, the other is the opposite, which is your music you select reflects the mood you're in, right. you know. And for me, as a, as a songwriter, the, the whole reason why I write what I write is to give my emotions a place to live other than my head. And then I can visit them and I can observe them and I can experience them, but in a, in a different way than in this internal struggle. So I think for a lot of us, that's really what music does is it allows us to experience things, but in, in a level of distance uh, or in, in a framework that is neat and tidy um, and you can turn it off and, you know, well, there's a definitive end, right? Yeah, that's, that's the point. 
yeah, it's over. You know, you turn the lights on or you can, you know, you can play ACDC and completely change your mood. They've played the different variation of the same song for 50 years and it's an awesome song. <laughs> that is it. Yes. Um, but that actually then comes into, since this podcast is about veterans helping veterans and for us not being veterans to be able to bridge a gap, music is a, is a way to bridge a gap, but also speaking to other veterans who maybe haven't embraced music or like you said, Jim has a connection to something. How, what advice would you give to veterans in terms of maybe using music as an avenue um, to, uh, again, not being a doctor. So I'm going to throw out a lot of words so I don't use the wrong one. Uh, coping, accepting, um, transitioning. Yeah, that should be good. But <laughs> Well, that's a good question. I think everybody has different musical tastes, of course. And everybody, as Chris said, everybody has different buttons to push and, and music is different for everybody. But, but I personally can't believe that there isn't some type of music out there for everyone. And it is a way to, uh, I guess, vicariously live and either relive a situation, be it good or bad. If it's bad, maybe you need to get it out. If it's good, like uh, Nora Jones was a great choice, uh, then it's great to go back and relive it. But I, I think music, there's probably music out there for just about everybody, if, if they'll look for it. And Chris, we've we've talked about you, you're a songwriter, you, you're playing shows, um, and we talked about Long Way Home, which is written about you know experiences as a veteran, and and you have multiple songs from that respect. Um, where could you know, speaking of your experience, but also I think it would speak to a lot of other veterans. Where could people find find that music? I'm sure you have it out there. Oh well, they can go to my uh, SoundCloud page, uh, which is, I think it's still the Singing Marine. Um, Facebook, it's Chris. This is my new stage name, Colonel Chris and the Claymores, uh, because I had, to pick a <laughs> I had to pick a violent name. So my wife's like, what does that mean? I was like, I don't worry about it. So <laughs> well, you're uh, covered if you bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, and, and I am back working on the new CD, which had to take a hiatus because of the pandemic. And we're in pre-production right now, working with a producer and working through, you know, the very mundane technical aspects of getting ready to finish these recordings and should have a full CD out sometime this, this winter. Cool. But, or you can just call me and say, hey, can you play me a song? You know, and I'll probably just... I'll probably just do it over the phone or you can I'll put your out. phone number at the bottom of this uh, podcast. And then we'll just have randos <laughs> calling you. It'll be great. You're going to really love this. You're not going to regret <laughs> this at all. <laughs> oh, That's what I do. <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Call Colonel Chris. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Chris. Hey, Colonel, play me a song. <laughs> Chris. 
That yes. name is awesome. Colonel yeah. Chris and the Claymores. That is friggin' yeah, awesome. I used to be a, uh, Chris and the and the players to be named later uh, because I'm a baseball guy. And, uh, you know, but that was just too wordy. So a friend of mine started calling me Colonel Chris. I'm like, Colonel Chris. And I was like, okay, the Claymores, because, you know, who doesn't love a good Claymore? Um, and your tagline could be, this band is the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right now, my working title for my, my CD is free and totally worth it. <laughs> better than free and you get what you pay for yeah uh, and might i say i don't think you're the first husband ever when a wife asks what is this and you replied oh don't worry about it <laughs> yeah no I, my wife goes of course my wife is very supportive she goes that's a dumb name so yeah yeah i know the feeling Honesty's good until it hurts <laughs> she's looking at a Are different serious? demographic yeah she doesn't worry about whether it hurts He's just going to sling it. That's a good teammate. <laughs> teammate. Uh, speaking of teammates, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue this way. Uh, last week we watched um, operations in Afghanistan shut down. You both have been uh, out here in the civilian population with us for longer than many of the men and women affected by that. Um, what are your one week later hot take takeaways about returning back to civilian life okay so the questions about returning to civilian life yeah yeah the, the question is like like regardless of you know how how we ended up there the, the the piece moving forward that i'm interested in is how how do you how do we rotate back into being people in the world oh wow so I, I, I remember this one very small snippet of experience from my first time when I, the first time I returned from uh, Iraq. So this would have been, this, no, maybe it was Afghanistan. It, it, would have, it would have been sometime in the fall of 2002 prior to the invasion. And I went to a McDonald's with my, one of my kids who was then very small. And there was just there was some guy having a meltdown about his breakfast just wasn't ready fast enough. He was just going high into the right. I just remember, I just kind of stopped and I said, hey, sir, it'll be okay. Just <laughs> relax, right? And I'm, of course, the whole time I'm thinking, you know, you have no friggin' clue what really goes on in this world like, like I do. And you would gladly stand here for your effing sandwich like a gentleman if you knew what people are doing to give you the right ability to do that. So I just, I just try to calm down, you know. And the biggest challenge in reacclimatizing is the fact that life becomes much more mundane. You lack the daily sense of purpose. Um, you, everything slows down. You know, you're so used to high, fast pace where life is on the line every day. And all of a sudden it's, hey, can you run to the store and get some milk? You know, and, and you're like, holy crap. I used to have an exciting life. Now it's just really boring. So for me, that was the, the biggest, the, the biggest come, coming home lesson was just trying to spin back into a, 
a sane level of operations so I didn't burn out. And that was for me. I don't know about Jim, about your experience. Well, first of all, there is no blueprint for how to act when you come home. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the problem. There, there's no uh, directions. There's no step one, step two, step three, step four. What Chris said is so true. One of the things you discover when you get back is that things out in the, in the everyday world that people attach importance to, like the guy in McDonald's, are waiting in line in the grocery store or a traffic jam, they do not mean a damn thing. Their level of importance uh, is so low and, and a priority of a returning veteran that uh, they don't even register on our scale. I think that um, when I got home, I had been gone, I guess about 14 months. And when I got home, I expected everything to be pretty much the same. It was different, but probably not a great deal different. What was different was my perception of that world. Yeah. And it took a long time to reacclimate yourself to that world. Um, your brain was not programmed to function well in that type of world. You know, four days ago, you're in a, you're in a fight and four days later, uh, you're home in the grocery store. So yeah. you, you just have to, for a returning veteran, you just have to realize it's gonna take some time. And if, if, if things don't feel exactly right immediately, don't worry about it. That's normal. Uh, the longer you're, you're home, the better things are probably going to get. And just be patient. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be forgiving of yourself. Um, you may get exceedingly frustrated by simple things. Um, you, you may grow. Even though it was funny, was the irony of what I was telling you was, while I was sitting there just amazed that this guy was losing his shit over uh, how slow his McDonald's was coming, you know, I'm just as likely to, to, you know, tear somebody in half over some idiocracy, you know, that uh, because I'm so used to being surrounded by people of such high caliber of intellect that, you know, I just, I just, I just, quit caring about the BS. And in many ways to this day, that still defines, still defines me, you know? So, you know, you have to be forgiving of, of, of yourself. I think you also have to educate those around you. And, and like my wife, um, you know, in spite of the fact that I say that she's not the biggest supporter of some of my choices, she did, you know, she, she has learned to read me and listen and give me space when I need it and, you know, to be supportive and to um, understand that I'm not always in control of the fuse in my brain, 
you know. And and so that's the other thing is, I know Jim has a great mate. I have a great mate, and that's what makes it so awesome is they let us be to a great extent who we who we have become. Yeah. In the pursuit of becoming the next thing, the better us. You know, so that that's that's the truth. That that's very true. And what you said, Chris, about trying to kind of educate people to what you are now, uh, that can be tricky, to say the least. Yeah. But you need to do your best to surround yourself with people that you know care about you. You know, you mentioned uh, we have two wonderful wives, uh, your family, your kids, your cousins, your close friends. Try, try to surround yourself with as many people as you can that you know are going to care about you and accept you for whatever kind of a uh, crazy son of a gun you, you came home as. And uh, that'll help yeah. a lot, too. Yeah, I remember, so Jim, this will sound probably familiar to you, but in 1968, you're, you were there in 69, 1968, I was still, uh, you know, pretty small kid. And I was down in Texas and my, I had a cousin who, and this is one of the earliest war memories I have of watching it affect people. JW retired as a master sergeant in the army. Um, one day he shows up at my grandma's house and he is like catatonic and he was wearing his uniform and he just got home from Vietnam and there he'd been in the infantry and he had been a tunnel rat. That was part of his wow. job. And he had right before in the matter of days before coming home, had been engaged in, a, in, a, in hand to hand combat and where he had to, and I still remember this cause they were talking about it, you know, here I am eight years old and I'm watching my cousin, you know, just uh, torn up by his experience. And, um, you know, but he was surrounded by a loving family. Didn't understand what he was going through, but understood he needed to be loved. And, and, and the awesome thing about that is many years later, he and I had a chance to sit down and talk much like Jim and I did. Now we're related, you know, we're cousins, but, you know, we're separated by dozen years or so and um and, and you know had a chance to sit and talk about about our, about our experiences but yeah make good choices about how you surround yourself with and sometimes that means not surrounding yourself with certain people that aren't good for you yep yeah for sure and dustin alluded to this in terms of you know what happened happened uh last week we would be remiss and part of the reason why we're doing this is, is we have a Vietnam veteran and an Afghanistan veteran and I'm sure we've all seen the viral image now of the Chinook helicopter landing on the Saigon embassy and the Chinook helicopter landing on the embassy in Kabul there are a lot a lot of parallels uh, we've talked to a lot of of Afghanistan veterans and Vietnam veterans over the past couple of weeks and each group is feeling a lot of emotion about what has happened and i mean we could get uh, you know we talked before we hit record of this isn't about politics and this podcast isn't about politics some of the stuff we discuss have to skirt the edge of, of that because political decisions are affecting how veterans feel right now uh, 
Um, but, you know, we could talk forever about the decision to, you know, abandon air bases and elevated positions and, you know, decisions were made, they've been made, it's happened. What we're more interested in is a, the feeling of veterans of what happened, you see it on the internet and, and a little bit's gotten out, but I don't think I have yet to see an in-depth conversation with Vietnam vets and Af Afghanistan vets. Um, but also, you know, I was reading an article last week about as a civilian, as a non-veteran, how we can talk to veterans about, I mean, it's, it's a very charged thing, obviously. And I just don't want to rush in like a bull in a China shop and be like, hey, so that was pretty messed up, huh? How do you feel? You know, how can these conversations be had? Um, but before we get to that, uh, you know, I will defer to uh, it, it, Vietnam came first um, as a Vietnam veteran, Jim, and, and your feelings about how that war ended and whether or not it was even worth. we've had these conversations, you know, what what did, you know, your friend Tim McCright's death accomplish if we're just going to leave and turn it all back over kind of sounds familiar of what happened this last week. Um your feelings then and with what happened in Afghanistan and those images looking so much like Vietnam, has this dredged up or brought forth feelings for you these last couple of weeks? How, how has it been? Oh, hell yes. Pardon my language. Oh, um, I, I know you could say worse, so thank you. You know, um, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer as how to deal with it, except it's incomprehensible to me. It was then in, in Vietnam, Dave, anybody I think who was there paying attention could have told you that as soon as we pulled the rug out from under the South Vietnamese army and the people, it was gonna be just a matter of months, weeks, days until they overran the entire country, which is, which is just what happened. Uh, we should have anticipated that way better than we did. We didn't. It was a fiasco. And it keeps dredging up the same question that you touched on. Why in the world did we commit all that time, all that money, all those lives, 58,000 plus, just to give it back? Um, I, I don't have an answer. I'm probably just as frustrated now as I was then and seeing what happened in Afghanistan. And I have a pretty good idea how Chris feels because we exchanged a pretty poignant text one night about that. Um, what is that old adage about being doomed to repeat yourself uh, if you don't pay a little bit of attention? So uh, I, I, I will yield to the Colonel but I think he feels pretty much the same way I do. Colonel. Um, so I don't think this is at all political to say that what we expect of our leaders are to lead with integrity and moral courage. So, you know, to the veterans who served there, to those who served and, and who sacrificed. We're four days from the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We haven't had another attack 
on this country in 20 years. So we did our job, right? Bin Laden's dead. Many of the key people are dead. Um, this phase of the war was, and I say phase because this war is not over. The enemy gets a vote. What? The enemy gets a vote. And, uh, you know, they just named uh, a known terrorist to the interior ministry, um, you know, and so it's, they're just regrouping. Now, the, the notion, though, that the president of the United States was handcuffed and could not make decisions that were contrary to what the prior president had done is just bullshit. It is moral weakness to say that. And that is not a political statement. Let me tell you why. Uh, when you put your hands on the guide on, you take control of the guide on of command. When they change command, you are the commander for all things good and bad. That means you're responsible for the moment you take, you take command. Every leader in the military knows that. And, and so you don't point at the last guy and say, that's not uh, my fault. It's that guy's fault. If you're the commander of a ship that grounds, you're getting relieved. It has nothing to do with whether you uh, were driving the ship or you knew what was going on. Right? That's being a leader. Take responsibility. So there are two very distinct things. The decision to end kinetic operations at this point was probably the right thing of this phase. But you then have to follow up with what's next. Um, Leave a, leave a force there like we do in South Korea and Germany and Italy and other places, United Kingdom, um, you know, to leave in the friggin' winter when there's too much snow for them to come riding over, you know, the pass and, and take over, give everybody a little bit of a breathing room and some chance. But um, my, my frustration, my betrayal was not in the decision, it was in the lack of honor that we that was thrust upon us in that moment. That we, we, we who have borne the burden of this fight were not allowed to leave the, the field of, of battle with honor. And to me, that's not a, again, that's not a political statement. And, you know, that, that is just about what our DNA is, is comprised of. And, uh, you know, and we could have had a different ending to that story. And, 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 and we didn't. And now we're, we're going to live the repercussions of, of that. But mostly what, what chaps my ass is, the, is just that, the, the, the dishonor that, that, that was smeared upon us for no apparent reason other than, than, than the lack of moral courage to do what was right. All right. So what, what Jim uh, what Jim alluded to, and I, I, I'll share this with you, because I didn't know how to process all this. I mean, people are bombarding me. I, you know, I did a couple of radio interviews and things like that. Was was one day I just took a cigar and I went and sat in the backyard, and I just sit by myself and just kind of mulling over all this and thinking about my friends who died, thinking about riding with a young Norwegian soldier just had half his face blown off and, and you know, knowing that his life was, was changed forever. And, um, and to know that, you know, this, 
that this was now the memory that everybody has is this present memory. Um, took down that, uh, just, it filled me really with, I guess maybe rage is the right word, but it, it was, again, this is, it could have been, Donald Trump would have left this thing up just as bad. This set me, you know, sitting there with my cigar and, and I just broke down. I just, I just started weeping. and I, I couldn't even describe why, but it was a combination of all the things that we went through as a country to get there. Um, all the things we're going to go through because of this. And then all the things it cost me because mm -hmm. people have no idea what it cost me personally. And I don't share that with anybody because it's quite frankly, it's not it, you know, important to me to, to, to do that. Um, but it, it was, it was a very bitter moment for me. You know, I was texting Jim talking to him about it cause I can do that. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I don't talk about myself and, you know, but that was a moment where I needed to. And you brought up an interesting point. I hadn't, I, you know, intellectually when you, when you mentioned it, it made sense to me, but I hadn't really thought about it. You know, as someone who came home, who left on your terms and Jim, you came home before Vietnam was done and you came home on your terms. We're not in Afghanistan. I've, I've thought about, you know, obviously have thought about the people who were on the ground, hustling people into the plains with no, leadership you know and and hustling out in the middle of the night i totally you know intellectually could see that that is not the exit that they wanted that they were physically making but even as veterans uh and, and i'm going to open this up to both of you because it is the same experience for both of you separated by 50 years seeing that exit from both conflicts even though you were already home um and, and stop me if i'm saying this wrong chris but it stepped on your service, even though you were years separated from it and, and you felt kind of, um, and this is how I don't want to phrase it wrong. You, not that it dishonored, you felt like you dishonored, but it dishonored the service that you had given. Is that, is that a fair way to put that? I think that's about as close as we're going to get on that. It, it, there's not a, a bright line, but you know, when you give of yourself at such an intimate level, there's nothing more intimate in this world than facing death with friends. And when you experience that, it means something to you. It's a treasured, treasured memory. And anything that reduces that, for Jim, that, that, that happened immediately because of, of of the public sentiment against the war, uh, you know, for me, um, and even though the support is not nearly as universal as some people might think, but the minute I, I saw that, that's it just sunk my heart, you know, because I was so proud. I still am so proud of what what we did, you know, and. You know, to take that down with such with such lack of thought, it's, uh, such you know, such a flip attitude about the whole thing. Um, just yeah, it did it, it 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 
didn't diminish it because I refused to let that happen. But, you know, it was, it was just a, it was like getting ejected at the end of the game. You know, it's, it's you know, that you just won. It's just not, it's a little bit, it was a letdown to, to the whole thing. How about for you, Jim? Well, I remember sitting in front of my TV, uh, April 30th, 1975, watching Walter Cronkite on one on, on his special and the whole thing was about the end of the Vietnam War and it went back and it relived the war kind of from the beginning all the way through the end. It was it was pretty it was pretty well done, I guess. But I sat there watching this and then they would cut back to a, a live scene or a more recent scene when uh, people were pouring out of the country and trying to cling on to the helicopters and that. And as I watched this, I kept doing, I, I found it, I found myself starting to do a mental inventory of how many people I put in the body bags. Yeah. And after a while, <laughs> this sounds horrible, I, I lost count. And I thought of them, and I thought of the ones that I knew personally, I thought of the ones that I didn't know, but a lot of other people knew them, so it didn't make it any easier. And I, I guess I agree with Chris that I refuse to let that dishonor me or dishonor what we did, because believe me, the way we fought our war, we won our war. Yeah. Um, we kicked a lot of ass out there in the jungle, and um, we won our war. Yes. Now, eventually, um, they handed it back to them. And uh, Dave, I, I, I'm really having a hard time with this because all I feel is an overwhelming sense to this day, and I will till I die, of frustration. Total, utter frustration. And sometimes it makes me still want to go do stupid shit. Um, but luckily I have, I have a great wife and great friends and I got another friend on this podcast with us now and I can get by that, but I'll, I'll never get over it. And, and when I saw what happened in Afghanistan, oh my God, my heart went out to those people. My heart goes out to Chris uh, because how can we be so effing stupid? Is that political? This is a question. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely so stupid. Yeah, it, it's not political. That's an honest, very honest statement. And look, war is an arm of politics. War doesn't exist in itself. It, it exists to serve a political ends. And so, you know, there's never, you know, not many times we get a World War II ending. Hey, big atomic bomb war is over. All right, it, war's never neat. And it's, it, there's a lot of ambiguity to it, right? But what should never change, what this country has always stood for is moral courage. And, and I think at the heart of it is the anxiety that I have, and I think it's probably shared by others, that we have, we have um, you know, we're losing that. And, and, and so that sense of diminishment 
carries with it greater concerns, which is where are we actually heading as a country? Um, I don't need people to say thank you to me to know that I did my job well. Um, the people that know me well know I did my job well. The people I care about know I did my job well. Um, I don't, it doesn't diminish my sense of self-worth. I worry about what this means for our country, that, that, that we're more concerned about passing a $3 trillion infrastructure bill you know, than, than we are about how we exit the world stage. Because I'm telling you, this isn't the end. It's, it's now we're, in, we're just in the next phase. Um, this war is a hundred year war. Um, the, the enemy, it's a vote and they are gonna vote decisively. If it's going, we're gonna be back there in some form, uh, not just in Afghanistan, but in the global battle that this is. Um, and, you know, we just have to accept that and understand that this is you know, nowhere close to being done. Very true. And Dustin? Do you, uh, would you hold with the argument that it's, it's actually the same war? Both Vietnam what? and Afghanistan. In in what way? Uh, politically, in the in the uh, in in the capitalism versus uh, everything else way. Well, all right. So again, if you follow the, the the very basic geopolitical principle that war does not exist on its own right, it, it serves a political right. purpose. Yes, absolutely. It's the same. It's the same war. If you really want to be more specific, nation building is a is a horrible uh, use of American money. These yeah. people are barely beyond Stone Age, and you know to to waste our our money and resources to try to nation build is 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 really was the big political mistake we made. Contro you know. Controlling the environment to reduce a threat against the U.S. Absolutely. Great use. The, this, you know, so, yes, we, we continually trip over ourselves on, on this point. We've done it in Vietnam. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we did it to a, a great extent, although less traumatic in, in Iraq, certainly in Afghanistan. You know, nation building is, is a, always a poor equation for, from a political standpoint. It's just going to yield the same same result. You know, you're not going to see a bunch of Afghanis adopt Jeffersonian democracy. So why try? You know, to to me, we should just arm them more so they can, you know, keep each other busy for the next sort of sort themselves well, out, right? Yeah. We we kind of just did. <laughs> well, all right. So if Lozano was president, we would be giving them all uh, intel, arms, and air support, and uh, you know. And, and they let them go at it for just like Iran and Iraq, let them go at it for a long time. That'll keep them busy. <laughs> wow. Well, and when this came, you know, when this first started happening, I mean, I immediately thought of, of all the vets who are in the movie gym, um, you know, how you guys must have felt. And, you know, uh, Dustin and I have been invited to join a lot of, like, I'm in the Vietnam helicopter uh group uh on facebook and you know all the other veterans that we've made immediately thought of you chris from from having served there and don't get mad at me when i say this jim i mean i was one year old when when saigon fell um but i felt 
just from all of the association dust and i have have had you know having been in your living room shared your table everything we've shared with you guys i felt angry uh you know sometimes i have to remind myself no like i'm i'm just dave i'm not a vietnam vet but all the work we've done with you guys and everything we've learned i was angry from that perspective and i kind of wanted to call you guys but then you know like i said earlier how do you call like hey that was isn't that messed up how like but i felt like i wanted to and i think a lot of family members friends are having that same kind of feeling they want to talk to the veterans they know that are touched by this both vietnam and afghanistan um as veterans like is there this is going to be so open-ended is there a way for them to approach or to start that talk or not maybe like uh, what advice do you have jim well first of all i'll back up a little bit and this isn't really addressing your question but everybody everybody knows what happened over there uh it's no secret uh, you know, we just finished our Apache uh, Troop reunion, and the focal point of that is our memorial service, where we have 110 guys from Apache Troop on the wall. We read each one of their names, uh, give them a little moment, and we added the last 13 people who were killed in Afghanistan as well this year, and we read mm. those names off. So we were able to talk about it. Um, among ourselves, but we were also able to talk about it uh, with the other people that were there, the spouses, a few of the kids and things like that. And they, uh, they kind of uh, approached it as, boy, this is just like, just like Vietnam, isn't it? And yes, it is. But if anybody wants to talk to a veteran, uh, if you address them, in the right tone of voice, in the right manner, and say, boy, I'm really sorry about what happened in Afghanistan. That must be really tough for you. I don't think uh, any veteran would take umbrage or take offense at that. I think that they would be glad to know that uh, somebody cares. So if you want to talk to a veteran, just talk to them. Do it in a nice, in a nice kind of a nice tone uh, with a little bit of empathy. And I think you'll be fine. So if you so, would have called me Dave, I wouldn't have been mad at you. <laughs> I, I, will, I will forewarn you, don't call me unless you want to hear the unfiltered truth as, as, I, as I see it. Um, but you're right, there should never be a reason why anything should be off, off limits. If I don't want to talk about something, I'm just going to tell you I don't want to talk about it now. I'll warn you, don't call me and expect me to agree with everything you say, you know, um, you know, because you'll be disappointed there too. The, the biggest problem that I am having processing right now is just the sheer stupidity of the actions that were done from a military tactical standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely right? agree, Chris. That, that's, that's it. It's like, holy crap. You, know, there's, you just sent three of the most highly trained battalions of infantry in the world, and you made them gate guards. 
and and you know instead of empowering them to to complete a mission which is a withdrawal under fire which is okay it's a tactic we you know the prototypical one from my standpoint from Marine's standpoint is you know is is the retreat from the chosen reservoir and you know they they first marine division battled its way from chosen reservoir down to Hungnam harbor and in korea and you know there's a way to do it and yeah. you know having everybody a target um you know it's just it was ridiculous there was just so many so much better way to do it that's the thing i'm having a hard time with and then to hear the the, the nonsense coming out of the president's mouth you know about he didn't have any choice you know I, there's I, nobody I'm... there's nobody out there that believes that all right and and the the biggest problem that we have uh is that we all that he has is that we all know the truth right here's one of the untold truths of, of this whole debacle there is not a military commander out there not one that ever said afghanistan could take care of itself in the future we were never that that's not in our nature to say that we knew there was going to be a struggle we knew that it was unlikely because of the tribal nature of their of their nation, their lack of national history, their their divisions, their cultural behavior, all those things are reasons why. But nobody wanted to listen. You know, again, we're we're servants to, to to the political leadership. We're not we're not making political decisions. You know, but then we thought we had a pretty good way out, and then they just effed it all up. It's like punting on third down. You know, it's just like what was that? You know, it was just dumb. Well, and I I do want to give a shout out because it is veterans who have taken the lead, like literally taken the lead. If any of our listeners have not heard of Operation Pineapple Express, uh, that was veterans of the conflict who went over on their own and walked thousands of, of Afghanis who, you know, the translators and the people who worked with us who we'd made promises to in the thick of the night two to three at a time walked them through the back fence of of the base in Kabul and got them on planes um that yeah. that was veterans taking the lead and and that's kind of what's been going on over there and a huge tip of the hat to them yeah so here's the other thing that really chafes a lot of americans uh veterans is the notion of leaving americans there in that country um that that's such a deeply personal affront to to me that I, I wouldn't even know I don't even know how to process that. I think I think I think we're all struggling with that, Chris. As yeah, a, that's what I'm saying it's just it's it's, just it's overwhelming. Yeah. Well, I um I am friends with a uh, a Marine who was um, at the Battle of Koh Tang Island, one of the the last battle of the Vietnam War. Um, and he, to this day, if he starts talking about it, starts crying bitterly about the fact that they had to leave four dead Marines on the beach when they had spilled out because they were, they were in such peril um, that they were not able to recover for. And he's, it was just such an unthinkable, unfathomable action that to this day he can't wrap his head around. Fifty years later, almost. You know, and that's, you know, that's what we're all dealing with. 
uh, I think a lot of us are dealing with is just that, that we have Americans still sitting over there. On a plane on I, a tarmac. I go back right now. I go back right now. They, 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 they would let me because that's how, 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 what an abomination that whole thing is. Is, is that your dog I hear in the background, Jim? It's one of it's both of them. We 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 love dogs here, so don't be afraid if they pop up. It's a, it's, it's internet gold. <laughs> so, Dustin, uh, what you got? Well, I answered that. That was my question. That was that was my that was my out, David. That's that's me for the day. Um, yeah, I mean, this is. The, the topics that I had in my mind and, and how we covered them. Like I said, we just have a conversation, but we always want to open the floor up um, to our guests, Jim or, or Chris, free form any topic uh, that you wanted to cover that we think we didn't cover. Um, the floor is, is all yours. Hmm. Well, first of all, one, one of the reasons I really like Chris is, you know, he was a colonel and I was a lowly sergeant, and he's never once asked me to salute him, at least <laughs> not to this point. He well, first of all, the army, the army does city salute, so I'd never ask you to, to, to salute me. But uh, I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I got, I got to tell a funny army salute story. So, of course, bringing an army is diff very different culture. Obviously, a lot of mutual respect for each other, but just different cultures. And, and because of that, there can be clashes. And uh, I was in Camp Doha in Kuwait. And this is after I came back from um, Afghanistan and, and before I deployed back to the States. And uh, it was considered a uh, – it, it was not a combat base in, in Kuwait, so there was a saluting area. Now, of course, it was a smaller base, so – you know, you're kind of on top of each other a little bit, and it can make it really inconvenient. But if I'm in uniform, I render appropriate military courtesies and I expect them to be returned. So one day I'm walking towards the chow hall, and I see this rather chubby soldier walking towards me, and he's carrying an ice cream cone, and he's licking his ice cream cone walking out of the chow hall. Now, first of all, that was about to set me off and you know because you know you just don't walk and eat food at the same time in uniform at least not in the Marine Corps and uh and so I'm like okay just kind of you know bite your tongue uh and he comes to salute me and I kid you not he saluted me while licking his ice cream cone like this and he goes like this while he's licking his ice cream cone and I stopped and I just started laughing I just I literally started laughing because I didn't know how else to react to that, uh, to that. But no, Jim, I would never make you salute me. I am too old and retired, and I've been saluted enough in my career. You weren't like in a "We Were Soldiers" when he saluted like that. Well, you know, you know you're a weatherman. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in, in battle, it, it, you know, you don't salute one another. You, you courtesies are 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 only for garrison like that um the truth about saluting is that it's a sign of mutual respect it's not you respect me it's we respect each other and uh, and that's why it is such a an important 
um, courtesy given and returned, um, you know, because it, it's, it's, it's a mutual respect. So in the Marine Corps, the you know, army's different, again, different culture, the Marine Corps, the bulk, and I mean, the vast majority of decisions are made at the corporal and sergeant level. And I suspect that in Jim's world is very similar, right? You know, um, NCOs in the field operate autonomous, autonomously. And, uh, and so, you know, you have to be in, and you, you have to be capable of, of, you know, conducting yourselves appropriately. So there's a lot of respect that, that Marines have uh, for, for different ranks, but we also believe very firmly in the separation of ranks, you know, the, the non-fraternization. And the reason is, is because, you know, I may have to ask you to do something that costs you your life. And so I'm not going to become too familiar with you and neither are you to become too familiar with me so that we don't impede that, that very important nature of what we do, which is, which, which is to, you know, do things in battle that are um, very dangerous. And General Funk quoted for us, uh, General Lee writing a letter home saying that uh, the nature of war is, you know, you have to be willing to order that which you love possibly towards their death. <laughs> That's right. So the downside of leadership. So Jim, when you stepped up, I thought you were going to come back with your uniform on to salute Chris. <laughs> well, him, I think him and I are past that stage and I'm, I'm really grateful to have him as a friend. We have, uh, I think we've been good for each other, buddy. And, uh, we'll continue to be so in the future. Well, we, we absolutely have. So, um, I, I tend to like people who are what, what I perceive is, is as strong as I am or stronger. I actually prefer to surround myself with people I consider uh, stronger than myself. And, and that is uh, just a matter of character. I look for people who have strong moral character. Um, and so Jim and I hit it off. And, you know, of course, this whole, the whole reason you guys together is the, is, is really the subtext to these relationships are. And, and I, I grew up in the shadow of World War II. Jim grew up, of course, is, you know, a dozen years or so older. How old are you, Jim? 73. All right, so you're 11 years older than me. So he grew up, you know, generationally uh, different age. But my next door neighbor on my left was a B-24 pilot. My neighbor on my right was a Guadalcanal veteran. And they supported themselves magnificently and that connection that I then learned not just as a veteran but as a, as a, a combat veteran was that nod the head nod of the unsaid right when you have faced the unspeakable you are forever bonded in a long line unbroken line that serves this country and that's why this whole discussion of, of that you hear from us about the hurts of 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 uh, Afghanistan is because we are bound by that. And because we're bound by that, we're also bound by the harm that comes to that. So that that was, you know, Jim and I have that connection. And it and then more often than not, it's the unsaid connection. We don't have to sit there and give war stories to each other. There's there's a time and place for that, you know. But but there's also just the enjoyment 
of being together. And, and I learned from him. I, I learned from, from veterans of other wars. Uh, I had one of the most incredible experiences a number of years ago where I met a Marine of, I believe it was the 6th Marine Division, which is no longer around, but it was one of the island hopping campaigns. I, they served in Iwo Jima. And he shook my hand and we were, we were just talking about this is, you know, good 15 years ago. And, um, and he just said, oh, you had it so much harder than I did. <laughs> I was, what do I say to that? Right. I'm like, oh, no way. But that perception yeah. is really what's at the heart of the relationship, which is an undying respect for the, for the men and women who stood in harm's way that can never be replaced. And, and that's what I have in my friend, Jim is an undying respect. And, and I know that if, if Jim called me in the middle of the night and said, Chris, you know, bring, you know, bring a, bring a pistol or bring a shovel. I'd, I'd be there in 20 minutes, you know, and, and that's what we would do for each other because we've done it. And that's what defines us. That is to the day we die, what defines us as humans on this planet. Amen. Amen. Well, I think with that, that is a, a good wrap up to today's conversation. Um, again, uh, a shout out for uh, Colonel Chris and the Claymores on Facebook. <laughs> they are the bomb <laughs> um, but thank you everyone for joining us today uh, wherever you're listening whether it be on apple or or um, spotify or or podbean any of our stations on facebook make sure to please give us a like give us a follow give us a rating um, talk about these two yahoos you know, doing this thing. Why can't anyone do it if we can? Um, but thank you so much for uh, being with us, Dustin. You want uh, you want the final word? The out? Chris, uh, I don't know what you're doing hanging out with us. You get a better moral compass than either Dave or I. Uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, but you understand why Jim hangs out with us. I, oh yeah, I know why Jim hangs out with us. We're great. Uh, <laughs> it was your baseline. Yeah, I'm, I'm a good player. Everybody puts up with a guy who can keep time. Uh, <laughs> and we do have video of that night. It's in the movie. No, uh, no what I wanted to say was uh, good job using your network. You know, when you get to that moment, that dark moment of the soul, uh, it's good to hear that you uh, are smart and coherent enough to use the network that you have built over the years to, to keep yourself safe and sane. Good job. Um, thanks for joining us, guys. It's always a pleasure to see both of you. you bet. Always. You're welcome. All right, with that, I'm going to try and find my cursor here. I'm going to end the recording, but stay with us for the, the wrap-up. You can do uh, it, Dave. I can do it. You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting down with the veterans in your life, because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.